even though it wants to be brave that way, it falls back on the standard formula. And, and this is what you were identifying so astutely. Namely, as you're watching it, it's a big action set piece followed by a punchline followed by another big action set piece, next punchline, and so on. And and I almost felt, it, it was a very crowded theater when I watched it, I almost felt like Pavlov listening to his dogs, because in the sense of, you know, at a certain point, I knew the laugh would hit. Hello, and welcome to At The Movies with Mike and Marie, a show where two film professors talk about movies. I'm Marie Westhaver. And I'm Mike Giuliano. And today we're going to talk about Dumb Money and The Creator, starting with Dumb Money, or most people think of this as that GameStop movie. And Mike, there's lots of different things we should probably talk about with this movie. But can I first just start off by saying this has to do with short selling stocks? And I don't quite understand what that means, even though I watched the movie and I did some reading about it. It's like there's this roaring in my ears where I just can't really grasp the the concept. So, Mike, do you have any wisdom for our listeners who are in the same situation? Um, I, I have no wisdom whatsoever, <laughs> but but to the credit of the film, and I have mixed feelings about the film, but to its credit, it actually does a reasonably good job of trying to explain that. But but in essence, e- even though unless you're actually directly engaged in something like this, you you will feel like an outsider. Sure. I mean, this isn't something I, I've ever done. I've just read about it or heard about it. But in any event, let's put it in cinematic terms, because we're always thinking about heroes and villains. So so the, the villains here are the hedge funds which almost always get a bad rap one way or another. And in this case, because they are um, short selling, um, what they're doing actually is by shorting the stock, they're hoping that that the, the company will fail. They're hoping that GameStop will flop. The renegades, the good guys, the heroes are the um, novice investors. What what the hedge fund people would pejoratively refer to as as dumb money, like 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 just the average Jane and Joe, like putting some money into something, and you know we're we're like almost like Frank Capra-esque characters, like you know we're gonna, we're going to do it. We're all going to join together. I'll put in five dollars, you put in ten, you know that kind of a thing into the pot. Um, and it actually does schematically play out that way because um when when you see the the uh, the actors in in this, you, you get a pretty pretty clear sense of like, well, who, who's, who's the good guys, who's the bad guys? And um, this sounds cynical, but it's kind of hard to go wrong in a movie when you have that sort of schematic thing, like, which side am I going to be on? I think I'll go with the good guys here. So so the film kind of stacks the deck there. Now, um, even though, like Marie, I was still feeling a little hazy by the end of it, I probably would not have passed the test. I did feel like it was making a, a fair and really, you know, quite valid attempt to explain the process to us. So, so as a procedural, it actually does a pretty good job of that. I'm just the thick-headed student who's not, you know, getting it as well as I should. But to the film's credit, I think it does that. But here's one of the many problems that will pop up in a film like this. Uh, and there have been earlier films that I thought were more successful, frankly, things like The Social Network and The Big Short, you know. But in all those films, there's a, a, a conceptual as well as technical issue. When you think about what's involved here, you know, all this trading, what do you have? You're going to have characters sitting around staring at their devices. You know, they're going to be staring at a screen. Now, if you're the director and you're trying to like give this the film some 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 action. Uh, how do you do that? I, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, we're watching a, a movie screen and those people are watching their screens. And yeah, you can see things play out there. But I think there's certain inherent limits to, to what you can do cinematically with that. And the film never entirely overcomes that. To its partial credit, what it does uh, is that we do have a clear protagonist, particularly the, the character played by Paul Dano, a kind of everyman character, one of the, the novice investors. And there are enough supporting characters, all demographically different and interesting and so on, that, that when it when it goes from one character to another, even though it's people just staring at their screens, at least it's a different person staring at a screen. Uh, and, and so I think that actually makes the film a, a bit more 
involving uh, at a kind of you know dramatic uh, level. Just the same, one of my main reservations about the film, uh, besides that sort of inherent tech issue of people staring at screens, is that um, when I had my first impression of all these characters, whether good guys or bad guys, by the end of the movie, I felt like everything was still essentially the same in terms of character development. I really felt like the film did a good job relatively speaking, about explaining what this kind of short selling is all about. But I thought it did a a mediocre job at really getting me invested in the characters. Because think about when you watch a film, your first impression of a character, you want to feel there's some deepening, some complexity, ambiguity, you name it, something that has you hooked throughout. But scene by scene, I felt like, okay, I'm looking at the same characters, and we don't really learn that much more about them, and we don't get much more depth or anything. And so frankly, I think the film... um, I don't want to say fails because it, it it works reasonably well, but it's disappointing that way. It, it, there wasn't something like to additionally hook my interest. Uh, what about you, Marie? Well, I, I agree that there's not really a, much of a character arc. It's more the arc of GameStop. GameStop's the character that kind of goes through differences in, in what, it, uh, what it looks like to people who aren't gamers. I will say I did like a lot of the casting and I thought the actors did a great job. Paul Dano, as you mentioned, Shailene Woody, Woodley, and Pete Davidson, I didn't even recognize Pete Davidson. In fact, I thought he kind of stole the movie. Well, again, it is an interesting cast, but you're talking at the level of the actors. They have a good right. ensemble, but you know, there's only so much they can do with the characters as, as scripted. I don't, I didn't feel they had enough to work with. Um, I just thought they brought their acting chops to it. You're right. There was also, like you said, there's like they show various characters who get into this system and then, you know, what happens to them later. And one of the characters I thought was was a really good idea to include is the character playing Marcos, who works at GameStop, because it also gets in in terms of this being like the underdog story, what it's like to work in retail and, you know, the way that you're treated and how satisfying it is the day that you get to quit. You know what? I actually, that was my favorite scene in in the film. And that's an indication of how the film could have been richer, because that's a scene where, you know, it's it's not just Joe Schmo at his computer screen. Uh, It's a case. Here's a guy who actually was working at GameStop. And, and and actually, the, the mundane details, what makes that scene or those scenes, because, you know, you got to open up the shop, you got your boss, you got the banter back and forth, some of it friendly, some not so friendly. And as they go back and forth, and the payoff there, and this is where the film does have a, a mini dramatic payoff is at the point where if you've been as a little guy investing, and, and finally, you're going to reap the rewards financially, you know, where you could quit your job, or if you got fired, it wouldn't be such a big deal. That is a, a delicious moment where he can finally like just sort of talk back to the guy. And, and for those five or so minutes, I thought, yeah, this film really made me sort of perk up in a way that otherwise it it rarely did. I also thought the soundtrack was great. In terms of being a movie about finance, which I've already admitted I know very little about, it was interesting to see things from the standpoint of just a regular person, not, you know, the sharks who are actually running Wall Street, that you would see in movies like Wall Street or The Wolves of Wall Street or The Big Short. You know, you really did get to see how the little guy can actually participate in this financial world. But, you know, in the end, it doesn't really leave you with a lot of, oh, so that's how it's done. Let me give it a try. Uh, Some things are kind of discouraging in the way the uh, it all shakes out in the end. What did you think, Mike? 
Well, there's a kind of naive assumption in a film like this, because the film doesn't go very deep at the character level, but the naive assumption is, hey, I'm a little guy too. And and I, as a little guy, I'm watching these little guys in the movie. And, and gee, maybe I could do that too. I could stand up to the system, stand up to Wall Street, whatever. And emotionally, that has a certain amount of force. But Marie, to your point, pragmatically, okay, exactly what would I do next? <laughs> and, and I think that's that's where, for me as a little guy, I wouldn't know quite which button do I press kind of moment, right? Like, how do I, how do I go about this? And and um, I'm not sure it should be a primer on how to do this, but but the film, even though it has some technical savvy in it, isn't exactly a manual for how you can be the next little guy. So is that what we're talking about? Basically, as, as we're watching it, you and I are at some fantasized level. You and I are thinking, gee, how would I do this? And, and I'm still not entirely sure. So let me defer to you on this because I want to follow your lead as we become investors. <laughs> well, I think we're going to have some trouble if we're going to follow my lead on that one. Now, I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, one of the things I thought was smart about the movie was the fact that this happened during lockdown and COVID and all of that stuff. And one of the gambles that the, the main character makes is that with everybody being in lockdown, COVID restrictions, people were going to resort to playing video games more and more. So it just seemed obvious to him that this was something to exploit. But I didn't think he was prepared for, you know, the way the financial shenanigans were going to try to take down the little guy for even trying. But the original idea was actually pretty smart. And obviously, well, I, I, I like that about the film. It, it had its finger on the pulse that way. It really had a sense of how with GameStop, the GameStop case went back to 2021. So it's like during the pandemic. And you're absolutely right. Um, I thought the film maybe could have done a little bit more with that even. But I, I, I was satisfied in the sense that, you know, where it leaves off, I, I immediately picked up, if you will, right? I immediately made those. I was connecting dots that way, like during the pandemic how things did change in all sorts of ways. And that's to the film's credit. Also, by way of topicality, one thing that I th thought worked really well, and this is very much on the technical level in terms of the editing of the film, is um, as we have our fictional characters testifying, whether to each other or in a courtroom, whatever, the way in which they intercut actual archival footage of real life politicians, as if these politicians were asking the questions of our fictional characters. And, and you know, again, a reminder that the film is based on, on fact, it's based on, on a book, which is based on that real incident. And the film, I thought, really did a, did a fine job of, in, in certain segments, really making you feel like you were watching actual congressional testimony. Because I recognize some of the representatives who were on the panel asking questions and then we you know we cut from that to our fictional characters back and forth that was very smoothly handled i thought i thought you know real credit due to the editors in particular to, to weave all that together yeah i agree i thought that the editing done that way was actually very effective i wanted to mention that the real ken griffin is still trying to to uh sue sony pictures for his depiction in this movie i guess he was not at all happy at, at that at the way that went but you don't get to control the editing. That's part of the problem when you're talking about a real life situation. Well, like, some of the characters, you know, make, what, like, cast somebody better looking as me kind of thing. Well, you know what? Since we're talking about heroes and villains, um, the villains will be true to form. So the real life people, the role <laughs> models, are they going to be happy with their depiction? Of course not. They, they, they might think, you know, I look better than that or, or my house has better decorations or whatever. I mean, at some level, and these people live on litigation oftentimes, don't they? And and so, you know, you just go from lawsuit to lawsuit there. And uh, somehow I'm not shedding tears over this, but, the, 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 you know, the, these these folks are not unfamiliar with courtrooms. Now, one question that I want to ask you is why now for releasing this story? Because it's so recent that I wonder if it would have been more effective had they given it a couple of years to really be looking back on something, especially since you could have so much more information about where are they now? 
No, I actually think the opposite in the sense that I think a film like this should be released either now or actually even before now. In other words, the topicality, because uh, you know, after all, we're going up a couple of years to the to the the core incident, and so I would think like a year or two after something like that hit while while the iron's hot, as they say. I think if it they'd waited another year or two. Um, it would be so much in the rearview mirror at that point. And already when you think about it, people are oftentimes talking about the pandemic as if it were somehow ancient history. Like, oh, I remember my my, my dad told me about that kind of, kind of stories. And I think within a few years, um, this film, it would still have the same value in terms of capturing the moment, but the moment itself comes off of the front page and goes into the history books. And so I thought it was actually good to have it come out now, or as I say, I would have been happier even if it came out a year ago. Now, when I saw it, Mike, I had the whole theater to myself. So I can't speak to who the audience is supposed to be, except for, you know, you and I, who tried to see everything. What was it like the day you went? Well, you know, n- nothing remarkable to, to pass along. I mean, just a few other people there. And so we sat passively staring at a screen, watching characters who were <laughs> staring at screens. <laughs> and so we had that. It's not, it's not the kind, you know what, even if there had been more people in, in the house, as they say, it's not the kind of film where you really need an audience. Uh, and I don't mean that dismissively, but it's the sort of film where you just get locked in the story. And it's not the kind of film where you wait to have people around you laughing or cheering or whatever. It just, you sort of lock into the central financial issue there and just stay with that. So, so, um, again, I didn't feel the need for a cheering section on it, um, although, you know, it clearly has its heroes there. And again, I'll, I'll do credit to Paul Dana because he's, he's called upon to play to play a kind of, you know, Joe Schmoke character. And he, he's just really good. And it's actually to his advantage here that he's not the world's most handsome actor. I'm trying to think how to say that. But and I don't mean that as like a backhanded compliment, but he has like that sort of every guy character look to him. And, and so that that plainness, if you will, that word that you say, gee, that could be my next door neighbor or you know what, that could be me. And, and again, that really helps the film because, you know, I'm looking at screen with him and I want him to triumph over the uh, the hedge fund uh, baddies. And uh, even though I'm not quite sure exactly how I would do that, I'm glad that he was able to do it. I think, though, I will recommend this movie when I talk to my students on Thursday in class because the age group and the gaming culture, I think, will resonate with them more than it did with me. By the way, I did not mind the screens as much as you did. But it wasn't done as well as, say, Missing, where it was crucial that you actually interact, look like you're interacting with the laptops and phones and CCTV footage and all that kind of stuff. But what about you, Mike? Are you going to tell your students about this movie? No, I won't. <laughs> no, I, I'm only partly joking. I mean, it, it, it may come into the conversation, but I can't think of a reason why. I, I, the only reason I might bring it up in the classroom is, to your point, with, nowadays with the nature of our pop culture, so many um, feature films are either directly based on games or involve some aspect of gaming. So sure, I mean, joking aside, I might well mention it in, in that context. But I can think of a lot of other films I'd rather talk about with my students uh, that way. And and I can assume this is one they'll see in their own. So it's sort of like like I will I will uh, pontificate upon request. You know, like if they if they <laughs> if they want me to talk about it, I'm happy to. But what I oftentimes try to do by way of missionary work is, well, how about this other film you've never even heard of? You know, let, let's watch that and talk about that. And it might be in another language with subtitles, and it might not involve gaming. Go figure. It might even be in black and white. So, you know, (laughs) really (laughs) arcane material. (laughs) Well, let's move on to our second film, which is The Creator. So I went into this thinking I didn't even know what it it was about. I tried to know nothing going in. I knew it had John David Washington in it, which is reason enough for me. So I, I went in with no preconceived ideas. And I have to say, overall, I was pleasantly surprised. I don't think this movie hit on all the ways that it was supposed to. But, you know, given that it only, quote unquote, cost $80 million, I thought it looked 
like it costs so much more. I thought they really spent that money well. But Mike, where do you want to start with this movie? Well, with the creator, it really is a sci-fi epic. Um, It's not that much over two hours in running time, but it really has an epic feel to it. And even though I had mixed to negative feelings about the film, uh, one thing that I admired was the point you just made. $80 million to me sounds like a lot of money, but it's really not when it comes to making a film like this. And they made it look like $200 million on screen. One thing I really genuinely admired in this film was the production design Mm -hmm. and the overall scenic concept. I mean, it's a sci-fi story that hops around the globe. It's got these really expansive panoramic scenes where like, you know, here's the city of tomorrow kind of look and, and the characters, whether human or robot of tomorrow. And the film, really, they got some bang for their buck, as people say in the business, right? They really made the most of of that budget. And visually, that always held my interest. So that was what I liked about the film. What I did not like, and it's sort of a laundry list of things I did not like, I thought the story itself was hokey and downright unconvincing at times. Now, without going into all the plot mechanics, it's essentially a world where you have human beings, still, uh, you have robots, and and you have a sort of like in-between categories, you you know, of, 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 you know, simulants and blah, blah, blah. So you have sort of like the demographics of the future in terms of humans as we know them and AI and its various manifestations. And in terms of how people will uh, and robots will respond to that, I thought the movie was very uneven in terms of how it dealt with that, in terms of tone, in terms of characterization, in terms of just about everything. At its most bizarre, um, the movie makes a sort of equation between Buddhism and AI. Because in the world of the future, you have the United States, more or less, as we know, coming off of a a nuclear holocaust in Los Angeles, fighting the AI forces, which are represented by what they're calling New Asia. So it's sort of today's conflicts, which so far are not on the war field, uh, between like China and the U.S. Take that sort of mindset, you know, of of how we think of ourselves as a society and and the economic threat and potentially military threat of something like China. Kick it ahead in sci-fi terms. And what if we are still basically human, but they're relying increasingly on AI and so on. Now, the film doesn't parse it out in great political detail. It's just sort of like an, a premise in the film that it plays out this way. So what happens then is, you know, because we're, uh, you know, Americans watching a Hollywood movie, we're going to side with our country, right? But then as the film goes on, it does get a bit more complicated or should I say confused as, as to the dynamics of it, because it turns out that the other side, the supposed bad guys, they are much more embracing of AI. And you know what? Maybe AI is not, as we initially assumed, the threat the bad guys, if you will. Maybe they actually have something that maybe they have souls even, you know, the, the soul of a machine, if you will. And those are interesting ideas, but I thought the film was sort of a grab bag of ideas there, most of them really unexplored. So this, the scenes that really I found like visually compelling, but but thematically unconvincing or just bizarre, you know, had essentially what we would call Tibetan style Buddhism. You know, you're up in the mountains of Nepal, whatever, and, and you have the monks cohabiting quite peacefully with, with AI forms, whether we call them life forms or whatever, AI forms. I thought, well, that's an interesting idea, but I'm not sure I'm buying it. Maybe it's just my prejudices and assumptions going in, but I'm not entirely buying this. And then the film, I think, thematically is a kind of muddle at that point. So what are we supposed to make of all this? And and, and so uh, it really, the film was losing me. And I was sort of even like, smirking and kind of almost, almost like laughing at it because I just thought like they it had gotten out of control with the level of scripting and directional like well what exactly are you just saying here what am I supposed to t- what's the takeaway supposed to be not that I need a clear message on a plate but I wanted a, a, a sense of confidence in the filmmakers that they knew what what they were doing and I think they raised all these issues without knowing quite how to resolve them or you know develop them what do you think there because I think thematically it's a muddle I agree. There's some thought-provoking stuff in there, which I appreciated. But in terms of storytelling, it's so much like 
storylines you've, you've already seen in like uh, District 9 or Blade Runner or Elysium, even Akira. So, you know, you kind of settle in and feel like, all right, I know where this is going. But, you know, to be fair, I think it's very hard to sell a movie in Hollywood without having it be like something else. It's like, so this is like Blade Runner, but, you know, with cooler robots or, you know what I mean? It's hard to come up with a brand new idea. I did think that Gareth Edwards, who did Rogue One, leaned kind of heavily on that Rogue One feel. There were a couple of scenes that felt like outtakes from that movie. And the other two movies I wanted to mention that the director has cited as inspiration were E.T. the Extraterrestrial and Paper Moon. And those two in particular, because there's a child actor in this, I think is excellent. What do you think, Mike? Of those um, the, the child actor is is really terrific, and and you know that's the Paper Moon connection to have a, a child star who's so good. But I wonder, like, if it gets to Oscar time, like, what category? To, it would be it would be a supporting role, but like like actor, actress, what? You know, when you have AI forms, you're, you're, we're going to need new Oscar categories for this. If you're part human and part machine and part whatever else, but you have a soul, so it could be like that supporting soul in in, 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 the, <laughs> in, in the film. But Marie, you know, in my laundry list of things that bothered me about the film, or the, at least I found disappointing. You identified what I think is, is fundamentally the real failing of the film at the narrative level. It, it, it wants to be bold and venturesome. And the whole notion of having AI be more sympathetic and so on, and even equating with Buddhism, that's a, a challenging idea. And, and it sort of had me perking up like, huh, but but then disappointed and not really doing as much as it could with that. But so here's the disappointment. Even though it wants to be brave that way, it falls back on the standard formula. And, and this is what you were identifying so astutely. Namely, as you're watching it, it's a big action set piece followed by a punch punchline followed by another big action set piece, next punchline, and so on. And and I almost felt, it, it was a very crowded theater when I watched it. I almost felt like Pavlov listening to his dogs because in the sense of, you know, at a certain point, I knew the laugh would hit because that's the punchline. We're going to laugh at it. I thought, okay, we're conditioned in a way too. And, and maybe we're not as smart as AI. I don't know. Um, you know, but but what I was getting at there, and not to make fun of my fellow audience members, because I laugh too, but just simply that the film is programmed that way. It gets your adrenaline rushing through an action sequence. And then there's the comic line to give you some comic relief. And then you head into the next segment. That's why, even though the film's 133 minute running time is not excessive for an epic like this at all, it still felt long to me because I felt like I was sitting through yet another one of these sci-fi extravagant as where you know it's just the spectacle on screen and as i said at the outset visually it is spectacular at times but i didn't feel like i'd had that that complete meal i felt like still something it was empty or missing there and it was just simply the razzle dazzle that kept me watching it at a certain point i think though in terms of audience because when i saw it it was also very not completely full but there was a decent audience there this is the kind of movie that people want to go to the movies to see they want to see really cool cgi interesting looking robots and explosions. So on that level, and I also think the draw is John David Washington, especially people who really liked him in Tenet. So I think, you know, with those things going for it, it was always going to have a decent opening. Well, he plays, um, you know, an undercover soldier, and it's an interesting conception in terms of the character. And, you know, he's a really capable actor. So that that held my interest throughout, even though some of his relationships with either human, human beings or other life forms weren't always totally convincing for me. The actor actually is is quite good in it, and he makes the most of every scene he's in. And and I'm agreeing with your, your basic point there that it does satisfy the audience in those ways. But those are sort of like predictable primal ways, you know what I'm getting at? So, and I, I respond to so I'm really not making fun of, of, of the folks around me watching it because I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm one of Pavlov's dogs, too. Right. I respond to that. Uh, and, and so um, 
I, I think, again, the film knows how to manipulate those elements. But goodness sakes, if you're going to really want to be bold, you know, do something with the narrative, do something with the storytelling that really would genuinely take it out of the predictable mold. I also wanted to ask you what you thought about the title, because, you know, going in, actually, when I was going to go see the movie, I'm like, well, I'm going to go see the creator. And it sounded like I was going to go meet my creator. I thought, what a strange title. I wondered how much it was going to try to be, you know, a creation story. I don't think this is a very good title at all. It does not prepare you for it being sci-fi, robots, AI, none of that. I think this is a bad title. It's a terrible title. It's so vague. It's so generic. You don't know quite what to expect. It's one. I mean, I knew a bit about the film heading into it, but even knowing a little bit going into it, the title was still sort of throwing me. Like I thought, well, what should I expect here? And the film doesn't really in a satisfying way. Yes, we're talking about the creation of AI forms and so on. I mean, I'm I'm not so dense. I can't pick up on that. But but watching the film, I, it didn't seem like that was the necessary title. And um, I don't have a, like at the moment like an alternate title that would be so much better. But I just know that this is really a, a lousy title for the film. Uh, somehow, audiences, I, th I think, because of it, partly the John David Washington familiarity, partly just that it's a sci-fi epic. That's enough to to for people to know and to get them into the theater, right? But but it's not the kind of title where if you if you were totally cold and like as I always say, like looking at the marquee, like what should we go see? Uh, you know, this title doesn't tell, is it the creation of the world or what is this? You know, what's this about? Yeah, so so definitely you and I are always giving grades out. So we'll give this one like a, you know, C minus or D as titles go. I will say I did think the score was great. And it did a good job, like you said, maybe because we've seen so many movies. You could just sort of tell by the ebb and flow of the energy and the music, if you weren't watching, exactly where the beats were going to come for explosions, jumps, jokes, all of it kind of signaled with the music. Yeah, but that's one reason why I didn't care for the film, really, was is, is that it, it's, it's, you know, sort of paint by numbers cinema in the sense of, okay, you know, upbeat here, downbeat there, explosion here, car chase there. Uh, again, it's that formulaic quality that, that it works commercially. And, and uh, yeah, it holds my interest. But but uh, we you and I have seen so many movies like this that we wanted to somehow, you know, follow the cur have the courage of what is an interesting conviction about, you know, AI intelligence and soulfulness and, and all this. And much as I love that the, the actress, you know, playing that, that six-year-old AI form, you still are left sort of wondering, well, what exactly is she or you know who or what here and, and the film could have done much more with that actually like if you're going to build a little robot or whatever you want to call it where does the soul go you know is it above the stomach or, or below it's a great question which of course makes me ask the, the the question that's been on my mind since we started talking about this i think john david washington can open any sort of movie so i'll go i would be interested in seeing anything that he was in even if he was just standing there like reading off a bottle of ibuprofen the ingredients but does that mean with this movie that there will inevitably be a sequel or a prequel? Well, I don't know, frankly, the answer to that, but it's the kind of film that lends itself to, to sequels. Um, there are a lot of story threads here, and there's certainly enough you could pick up on there. Uh, would you call it the creator too? <laughs> or, or, <laughs> or maybe they could think of a better title at, at, at that point. But uh, it seems to me that, you know, the formula works. And, and so when it works, you know, somebody out there is thinking about what the sequel will be already. That's why, you know, in a film like this, yeah, you do stay through the credits because you're never quite sure if you're going to get a little you know Easter egg there or not. But it, it does sort of set that expectation up. You're absolutely right. Well, that does bring us to the end of this show. But don't forget to check out our other episodes on atmhcc.podbean.com or look for At The Movies with Mike and Marie wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next time at The Movies. See you then. 
Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Media Podcast.